I was confirmed in the Episcopal Church at the ripe old age of 11 and a half on May the 10th, 1966. I stood before the gathered community as I made an adult commitment to fulfill the promises and commitments my parents and godparents had made on my behalf some 10 years earlier. I knelt before the bishop, and he laid his hands upon me. When I rose, I knew that two things were in store for me. The first was attending the 8 o'clock a.m. celebration of the Holy Communion, not Eucharist, the next Sunday as a class, where we would all receive the bread and wine for the first time. In those days, you weren't able to receive communion until you were confirmed. The thing I really looked forward to was becoming an acolyte the next fall and serving at the altar. The church of that morning was very different than the church of this morning. Let me list a few things. Girls were not allowed to be acolytes. Many women still covered their heads with linen cloths as they entered the church. You certainly did not wear slacks to church if you were a woman. It was four years before women were seated for the first time as delegates at our general convention and a decade before the first women would be ordained. At that time, I was not really aware, nor did I really care about all these things. Remember, I wasn't 12 yet, but I really wanted to be an acolyte. I loved serving at the altar. At that time, most altars were up against the wall in the chancel or in the sanctuary, and the priest consecrated the bread and the wine with his back, to the congregation. I love to watch the special stuff happen and to do special things like lighting and extinguishing the candles, receiving the offering plates and giving them to the priest behind the altar or at the altar. And finally, once enough time had passed, being allowed to carry the processional cross and even help set the table. That seems to be exactly what young Samuel was doing in the lesson this morning, serving as an acolyte under Eli, high priest at the central sanctuary of Shiloh, where the Ark of the Covenant was kept at that time, and a judge over all of Israel. Samuel's mother, Hannah, who had been barren for many years, had given her son to the service of the Lord in thanksgiving for God's gift of a child. Jewish tradition holds that he was just a child of 12 years old. His job appears to be a very important one, however. He had to keep the lamp of God, which stood beside the Ark of the Covenant, burning through the night from sunset to sunrise. Then, just before the morning light, the Lord called Samuel, Samuel. Three times God calls, and three times Samuel goes to Eli before the elder priest, with his wisdom and age and experience, realizes what is happening. Then Eli perceives that the Lord was calling the boy. Eli gives the key of Samuel's future to him. Go, lie down. And if he calls you again, you shall say, Speak, Lord, for your servant is listening. Speak, Lord, for
for your servant is listening. If we'd continue reading, we would hear that God tells Samuel that a new day is coming, that the status quo is about to be overturned, that Israel and her people have again lost their way, and they are wandering further and further away from the Lord God. God is about to do a new thing, and what was will be no more. And so a transition begins. The old is passing away, and the new is seen on the horizon. Now, let's go back to 1966, a time of turmoil and crisis in this nation. For a long, hard time, people of many races and faiths have been on the front lines of the civil rights movement, and the tensions were increasing. I also believe that this was the summer that when I got off a train in South Georgia to visit and spend time with my grandmother, that I remember seeing one of those hideous bathroom signs separating people of color from privileged people like me. When I entered Northside High School, now North Atlanta High School, as an eighth grader in the fall of 1967, one could count the number of African-American students on less than two hands. The old order was still in place, but it was crumbling, bit by bit and piece by piece, but oh, oh so slowly. I remember hearing first Dr. King's I Have a Dream speech and then his mountaintop speech in 1986, and I felt the power of his words in my young heart, and somehow at a very deep level, I understood those words. Then when I heard the news of his assassination, I remember deeply grieving as if a vision of hope had been blotted out. My cousin had gone to grammar school with Dr. King's children, and at the time I was just getting to know Wandelin Abernathy, Dr. David Abernathy's daughter, who sat next to me for most of the school year in chorus. We were talking about life in each of our families and life in each of our communities and the struggles that our nation was involved in trying to understand. She was preaching to me and giving me great gifts. It was the first time I experienced grief on a level that included an awareness that things had radically shifted in some way. Something very important had been lost, and the future would not be the same. Dr. King was a servant of the Lord who responded to God's, God's call with, Speak, Lord, for your servant is listening. And he then lived a life of service and an example for all faithful people to this day. Forty years have passed. In some ways, the world is very much the same, and the journey continues. Many people have borne the cost of the journey, certainly a great cost. Barriers have come down, some only to be erected again. Doors have been unlocked but not opened fully. Gains have been made only to be taken away yet again. But the journey towards the beloved community still continues. God continues to call God's people. Do we have the ability, the desire to hear, 
God speak to us? Do we have the desire to be led by God as to have so many as have so many who have gone before us? God is always, always ready to do a new thing when the circumstances call for it. And God has many, many ways of acting within the context of human history. The Lord spoke to Samuel and eventually led Samuel to anoint David as the king of Israel. Before that, God called out to Moses from a burning bush, and Moses answered, and the people of Israel were led out of bondage in Egypt into the promised land. When the people of Israel again strayed from the way of the Lord, God moved in the midst of human history and led the people of Israel into and out of exile in Babylon. In the fullness of time, God became one of us, Jesus of Nazareth, and lived among us for a time to teach us and to show us the way to justice, freedom, and peace. And God abides with us now, calls to us now. Tomorrow we remember a servant of the Lord who listened and then who spoke out boldly, calling for justice, freedom, and equality for all of God's people. Tuesday, we will witness history as it unfolds in a way that many cannot believe is happening in their lifetime, myself included. Whether you are a libertarian, Democrat, or Republican, liberal or conservative, black or white, rich or poor, no matter how you voted, no matter what your personal beliefs are, you, we are about to witness yet again a moment in history not to be forgotten. We are one nation, one nation under God, I believe, under God, as one nation full of diversity and opinions, but one nation together under God. And we will again be blessed by the orderly transition from one presidency to another, and on this occasion, apparently from one generation to another, and maybe even from one era to another. I am an old hippie. That is a little bit of an exaggeration, but I had a Volkswagen bus with a peace sign in the back. I had hair down to here, and we won't go into the other details. Even as recently as the early 1990s, I displayed a bumper stick, sticker on the back of my truck. It was a red Datsun in those days at, when I was working at Holy Innocence that read, Subvert the Dominant Paradigm. <laughs> the paradigm is shifting. I have no doubt. God is in the midst of the shift. I have no doubt. It may be a little scary to some, unbelievable to others, and a cause for celebration for many. But the shift is happening, and God is in the midst. In the midst of change and transition, we should not forget who is really in charge. We need to remember that God is always about a new thing, always about new creation, always about being our God when we seek to be God's people. God. 